0: The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Young youngadults. The Lord led me to become a part of a church that uh, was, as I found out later, I didn't know him at the time because he was no longer there, but it was John MacArthur's former church. And, and he was the youth pastor there because his dad had been the longtime pastor of this church. And I became, I was a young Christian then, and I, I became a part of that church, and as they did in those days, Ruth, anybody who could play guitar, they said, you'll be a youth leader. <laughs> okay? And so I had to quickly learn all the, uh, you know, w- youth worship songs and whatnot, and how to play, you know, get those three chords down. <laughs> <laughs> you can play almost any song with, you know, or, and, it, and it worked out okay, and I don't think I... Hurt anybody's eardrums too badly in the process, but it's a it's a wonderful thing to have music as a part of the worship experience, and it's and it's going to tie into what I'm talking about tonight. Even uh, you know, we're talking about being heaven minded and I'm focusing on Colossians three, and well, we know there's going to be a lot of music in heaven, so it's good for us to be prepared by singing now and and. Being part of an imperfect choir, and soon we're going to be part of a perfect choir that will be millions strong. So even if you do hit a you know wrong note, no one's going to care. <laughs> and no one will probably hear either. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you to just think on these questions as I ask them. And these are questions regarding the topic of tonight, heaven-mindedness. When was the last time you thought about heaven? What prompted those thoughts? How much thought in general do you give to eternal life, that is, your life to come, your life in heaven? How much do you know about heaven? And then the last question, perhaps, is the most important one. Are you looking forward to heaven? Are you looking forward to eternity? Or are you ambivalent about it? You don't know what to think. Or are you even apprehensive of it? And I don't ask that in a judgmental way at all. It's just that I know a lot of Christians who are apprehensive of heaven, which is when you think about it is shocking and yet it's reality for many of us so this is a topic that i've been prompted to think about partly by daniel asking me to teach this topic for this class but i'm also teaching a sunday school class here at the church and i just started a four-week series on heaven and so this is is fresh in my thinking so here's, here's my thesis, and you can question uh, me about it, but <clears throat> the question that I've been rolling over and over in my mind is why should we study about heaven? No, that's, that's not now, it's, it's in the future, we don't know when, but why should we study and think about heaven? Well, here are six reasons, and there may be more, but these are the six that I've come up with. Why we should study heaven. Number one, <clears throat> it's because it's really important to the biblical authors. The biblical authors talk about heaven a lot. In fact, I've counted over 700 references throughout the Bible to some aspect of the life hereafter. So the reference to heaven as a place or reference to eternal life, etc. 700 plus it's more like 750 uh, references in scripture when the bible mentions something that much we do well to pay attention and to think about that the challenge i think is that most modern era christians and what i mean by modern era christians is now most modern era christians have not spent much time contemplating heaven and this is borne out by various surveys that have been done. In your own experience, do you think that's true or not? No, I am asking for an answer this time. You think most people, most modern era Christians don't spend much time thinking about heaven? Is that true or false? True. True. And here's hear some true and some I don't understand, I, you know, not loud enough for me to discern. <laughs> well, let's assume that my uh, judgment is somewhat correct. The question then is, why not? If that's true, why why not? There's an interesting study that was done. How many of you remember Matthew Westerholm? I don't know some of you should be lying here long enough to remember Matthew Westerholm He was a pastor of worship and music downtown, and um, and he was actually a, a professor at a seminary as well, and now I guess we whetted his appetite, and so he we went on to get his PhD, and he's now a professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville. His dissertation topic was a very interesting one, uh, and if you're not inclined to read his dissertation, you can read a very brief summary of his dissertation in a recent Nine Marks article, and... I'll read you the title of it. Um, the Church Should Sing for Heaven's Sake. When and Why We Stop Singing About Heaven and How to Start Again. What he did was he did a comprehensive survey of contemporary worship music versus uh, hymnology, um, you know, for the last hundred years up to the 60s and 70s. And he said that pretty much. They were covering the same topics except for one glaring exception and that was music about heaven and the previous generations sang a lot about heaven and contemporary music writers don't write about it hardly at all there are mm-hmm. exceptions but hardly at all there are some interesting books that uh, corroborate that randy alcorn has written a book on heaven i don't know how many of you read that any of you read alcorn's book okay it's interesting i don't know how he can be so confident about writing, what it writes but uh, you know it's interesting anyway So we'll we're all going to be surprised by heaven some way you know no matter what we think we know we're going to be surprised by something um greg morse who writes for uh, desiring god just wrote a piece Recently, I think in the last couple of weeks, that's really good. Uh, quotes about thinking about heaven and why we should do it. So that's reason number two why we should think about it is because we don't think about it enough. Reason number three is because it's where all true believers are going to go. It is our destination. It is our real home this earth is not our home. That's our home with the Lord. Again, uh, uh, an interesting book, not a good book, but an interesting book uh, by a Presbyterian pastor named Frederick Buchner it's called The Longing for Home. And it's—and it's, the thesis of it is that all of us have an inborn desire for home. Now, it may not be our familial home, the one we grew up in, because some people don't have a positive experience there, and so for them, that's not a thought that would give them comfort, but they know there's an ideal home for us. That's what everyone wants, is they want an ideal home, and that yearning for the ideal is actually a yearning for our heavenly home, and that we, we sort of stuff it, we suppress it for much of our life because we're just so busy doing other things, but if we stop and let ourselves contemplate life and contemplate eternity we'll find ourselves thinking there is a home waiting for us. Number four we should study about heaven because it guides us and leads us in how to live now. That it's not just for the future, it's for now as well. And we'll touch on that in a minute. Number five, because it's foundational in our hoping in God. You know, Bethlehem as a church has had the tagline of hope in God forever. Well, at least forever for your lives. (laughs) I think I was alive before that was a slogan here. But it's a a great slogan. But what does that mean? And how do you do that? And, and I would argue that one of the things that allows us hope in God is knowing about the eternal future that we all have. And then finally, number six, we should study and think about heaven because we're taught to do so. And that's the focus of the Colossians text that we're going to hone in on tonight. Just before we touch on that, I want to re- read a quote um, from C.S. Lewis. Now, you were the one who didn't read the Chronicles of Narnia, and you shouldn't be shamed for that, although I bet you've made up for it. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you have read Mere Christianity? Speaking of C.S. Lewis, okay. a Good night, of you? Um, it was a really instrumental book in my wife's pilgrimage as a Christian, and um, and. As a result, I love it because of how much of an impact it had on my wife and her soul. So here's Lewis's quote from Mere Christianity. A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is, you read history you'll find that the christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next the apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the roman empire the great men who built up the middle ages the english evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven it is since christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. So my aim for tonight is, number one, to increase our knowledge of heaven, to dispel any misperceptions that we might have, and number two, to help us recognize that being heavenly-minded is not only good for us, but it's necessary. And number three, to encourage us and to cause us to look forward to heaven perhaps more than ever before. So with that, if you've got your Bibles ready, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a great book, by the way. It's a wise choice to choose this book. It's, it's such an amazing book. So we're going to anchor our discussion on... The exhortations, there are actually two exhortations and that, that we're going to focus on and the, another uh, reference in Colossians to these things that I think are important. So for, before you go to Colossians 3, actually page back to Colossians 1. And this is, I assume you've already covered Colossians 1 somewhere along the way, but we're going to focus on one phrase in Colossians 1. So starting in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, and here's the phrase, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's a really curious phrase. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, what is the hope connected to in this passage it's a it's a causal phrase. So what is it causing? What is hope causing here? Most people think and I think it's referring to in verse four their faith in Jesus Christ and the love that they have for all the saints. So because of their hope that they have an eternal life, their hope of their eternal home in heaven, it frees them up to have love for one another, love for the saints here on earth and to grow in their faith. So that it's a reciprocal relationship between hoping in heaven and loving on earth and faith in Christ. It's the fuel for faith and love. Hope is the fuel for faith and love. Now, the question is, That we can also look at here is who's laying up this hope because it says because of the hope laid up for you in heaven so this is God's doing God is the one who is laying up hope for us in heaven does that kind of sound familiar that there are things being stored in heaven that are for our blessing and our guidance and help Anybody, what else, what else is stored in heaven? You don't want to venture anything? Prayers. There are bowls full of prayers, golden bowls full of prayers in heaven that the saints, your grandparents, your parents, strangers, people don't even know, are praying for you. And those prayers are all gathered in heaven and they're going to be brought out at the right time and the same thing is true with hope so somehow hope is being laid up for you in heaven to help you now so it's helping you now and it's there for you when you see jesus so we have hope laid up for us in heaven and it's just a A little glimmer of the things that are going to be in store for us in heaven one day so there's something very foundational to the Christian life about the idea of being heavenly minded now let's turn over to chapter 3 starting verse 1 and we'll go through verse 4 if then You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So verses one and two contain clear commands. Those are not suggestions. Those are not, you know, might be a good idea if you did this sort of thing. Paul is making a strong exhortation. It's a command that we are to seek the things that are above and to set our minds on the things that are above. And the use of the word above is just a euphemism for heaven. We know that this is a reference to heaven. So what does it mean, then, to seek the things that are above? I mean, that just seems really mystical in some way or challenging in some way to think I'm supposed to seek things that I can't see and um, that I'm not really sure what they are or how that relates to me now, here and now. Well, what are those things? Well, the two admonitions in verse 1 and verse 2 are essentially repetitious there is a slight difference though we're gonna talk on that in a second but they're basically repetitious to set your thing to seek the things that are above and to set your mind on the things that are above they're repetitious they also clarify and they provide a significant emphasis the word that's translated seek zeteo, means to desire to search for, so that's an active verb. So you are to desire it and you to, to eagerly seek it, to search it out. Roneo, which is translated set your mind on these things, means to understand it or to have affection for it. So they're similar in their meanings but complementary in their meanings there's a nuance difference but they complement each other so what it does is it clearly implies intentionality this isn't something that just sort of happens to you this is something you do this is something you are pursuing something that you are seeking out and desiring and it's something that we can work on therefore if it requires that on our part we can work on it and and we'll talk about how to do that now so what are then the things that we're supposed to seek and set our minds on what are the things that are above well that's a, a more challenging question to answer and we won't be able to answer it definitively but we can Get some clues here as to what it is that we're supposed to seek and set our minds on. These are aiming at things, these exhortations are aiming at things that are eternal, not temporal. So the things that are eternal are the things that we are to set our mind on things like the attributes of God, Christ likeness, so holiness, Christ like characteristics, prayer. We know there are bowls of prayers in heaven. Perhaps some of your prayers are up there as well, that you've prayed for others, for the saints. Communion with the Lord, knowing him deeper and better and more intimately than ever before. And I would call this, then the last one is a godly perspective meaning an eternal perspective, to try to see things as much as we can humanly do it, to see things from God's perspective. And another way to think about it is keeping everything on earth in its proper perspective, to not let anything that happens to you or any circumstance that you are in here on earth overwhelm you because you see it from God's eternal perspective. And you recognize no matter what it is, it's not going to overpower God. And it's not going to overpower God's will for you. And it's not bigger or stronger than his sovereignty. So this is really a spiritual battle of the mind that's being described here by Paul. That we are waging a spiritual battle in our mind as we go about trying to develop and uh, this desire for God a heavenly-minded perspective. If you're human, and I assume you all are, uh, we all know about the spiritual battles that we face in our thought life. You know, there's two categories of sin. There's the kinds of sins that people can see, and there are the kinds of sins people can't see. And they're both equally sinful. We know that. An adulterer is as sinful as a person who dreams about adultery. And so we have a battle going on in our mind against our thought life, battles against lust, battles against pride, against anger, against vanity, against retaliation, against self-pity. All of those things are battles, spiritual battles of the mind. The battle that God is encouraging us to take on in this passage through his Servant the Apostle Paul is the battle not just to fight sinful thoughts, but to move into the positive pursuit of the glory of God that awaits us as we wait for history to be fully revealed and wait for the consummation of history. So we're t- turning our spiritual battle away from merely fighting the evil. I shouldn't say merely like it's not important, but it's not the only battle that we have to fight. We do have to fight that battle but we also have to fight the battle positively toward knowing more and more about God and more and more about what awaits us in heaven. The things of earth are fleeting, temporary, and vapor-like. And that's probably one of the hardest lessons to learn at your age. I mean, I, I believe it or not, I was once your age a long time ago but it it was true really was true uh, i have the pictures to prove it Um, and when you're your age it's so hard because the majority of your life appears to be ahead of you You're, you're just coming out of college or you're coming out of you know early stages of career or getting married or about to be married which sounds true here and in a couple of cases, um, and all of these things are exciting, and you're dreaming about life together here. You're dreaming about career. You're dreaming about getting a spouse if you don't have one, or you're dreaming about where you want to live or what you want to do. And and all those are good things, and all those are things that God wants us to enjoy. But we're not as either eager or willing to think about but what about after that one day our days will be over and only god knows how many days we have but one day we will be before the throne of god and the reality that i've tried to sort of burn into my own mind is that every day i'm one day closer to eternity one day closer than it was yesterday so it's not going away I'm I'm moving toward it, and you all are moving toward it with me. So this is a challenge, I think, that it's not just a challenge that you face. It's a challenge I face. It's a challenge every Christian faces of being more heavenly minded. It does get easier, I can say, as you get older, because you're reminded more frequently of mortality. So I go to a lot of funerals uh, now in this stage of life. And I regret not going to as many funerals when I was young. So I always thought in those days, the person is dead, they don't care if I'm there or not, which was kind of a snarky way of looking at it, but it was my, it was the way I looked at it. But you go for two reasons. you go to support the family that's lost, whoever it is that has passed away, and you go for yourself to be reminded. That you'll be there one day. And so the idea is that we need to be ready. We need to be thinking about these things now, even when you're young and you're healthy and you've got the majority of your life ahead of you. So what are the benefits then of obeying these exhortations in Colossians 3? There are multiple benefits, but I've come up with three. Number one, and this is demonstrated in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If You want to turn there. I'll make reference to it. But it's so you don't lose heart. You don't get discouraged. Isn't that ironic? Thinking about eternity can keep you from being discouraged now. But it can. So 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's the key. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So, in this passage, Paul is likening our life on earth to living in a tent. It's temporary. Winds come along, batter it, you get wet, cold. But awaiting this is a house not made with human hands, meaning it's made by God Himself. That will be our forever home. I sort of chuckle when I hear that term. It means people like to use forever home, forever dog, forever child, whatever. Uh, there is only one forever, and that's in eternity in heaven. And you will have a forever home there. The second reason, benefit, for pursuing heaven-mindedness is for our joy. It will make us happy to think more and more about heaven and our place there. Hebrews um, is a great place to go for this. So Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16 is after... um, the author of hebrews extolling the the faith of the early patriarchs and other saints these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. You see, there's that desire factor there. They were desiring a heavenly home, just as Paul is exhorting us to desire to be heavenly-minded. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So he's prepared a building for each of us and a city for us to live in. And then you move on to Hebrews 12, verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus was able to endure the cross for the joy set before him. What was that joy? The joy was the eternal home with God and with the saints and with his bride, the church, one day. So he saw that as he was enduring the most humiliating and excruciating death a person can experience. And he did it with joy. So thinking heavenly, thinking about your eternal home is a source of joy in the here and now, even in the most unpleasant, excruciating circumstances. And then finally, the benefit is related to the other two but for our perseverance for generations past especially in in countries that have experienced brutal persecution of, of christians or countries where there's extreme poverty and they don't have the kinds of creature comforts that make them feel tempted to view this as heaven They were much more um, uh, akin to looking ahead, thinking ahead about what awaited them one day. They could take death. They could take hardship. They could take punishment. They could take anything that was given to them or came across their path because they knew their hope was in heaven where God was awaiting them with a glorious place and allowing us all one day to be with him, with the bride of Christ together, worshiping the lamb in the city with the streets of gold. And so that makes us able to persevere because we know there's nothing that can change that. Nothing can prevent that from being the case for each one of us. No political leader, no criminal, no person who hates your guts no social media uh diatribe nothing can change that outcome that you will be forever with the lord in paradise let's pray and then i don't know if we have time for any questions or not but we can we can entertain father thank you for your word thank you that you are such a great and gracious god and that you, you give us your word lord to give us hope and you give us your word to give us truth that we can cling to and that we can use to point us in the right direction especially when we are discouraged or especially when we're confused or especially lord when all seems dark and dreary and so i pray for these dear brothers and sisters and ask that you would bless them lord Pray that you would help them and me to be more and more heavenly minded, Lord. To be assured that our hope in you is secure and to know that nothing on earth can change that great glorious reality. Allow us to persevere. Allow us to have joy, Lord, as we live out our lives here on earth for your glory. And as a witness to a dying world, Lord, that they can have the same themselves. So would you bless us now as we go? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem Church slash Young Adults.